Cut it out, Sylvia. Lula. We've got to get out of here. Well, what's the panic? I'm going to have another martini. Oh, please, Sylvia. It's a quarter of nine. Well, first you can't wait to get me here, and then it's rush, rush, rush. Makes a person feel cheap. Sylvia, sweetie, it's not that, but I promised the guy I'd be out of here by eight o'clock positively. What guy? Whose apartment is this, anyway? What's the difference? Some schnook that works in the office. In a career spanning seven decades, Billy Wilder wrote over 60 feature-length screenplays, directed 26 of them, amassing six Oscars, a further 14 nominations, five WGA awards, a DGA, as well as the Palm d'Or at the 1946 Cannes Film Festival. With a string of classics across a variety of genres, the melodrama, romantic drama, courtroom drama, noir thriller, war picture, and especially comedies, Wilder's career was so blazing, you'd be forgiven for saying, well, somebody's perfect. Austrian by birth, Wilder started off as a journalist in Vienna, before going to Berlin, where he wrote the script for People on Sunday, a seldom seen but important drama, not least because it intersected the early careers of Fred Cinnamon, Robert Siedmack and Edgar G. Ulmer, all of whom went on to prominent careers in Hollywood. But they didn't go to Hollywood solely for work, They were all Jewish, and when the Nazis seized power in 1933, it was a matter of survival. Upon arriving in Los Angeles, Wilder came into contact with another émigré, Ernst Lubitsch. Lubitsch had been directing in Hollywood since the 1920s, and had, over the years, developed a reputation for sophisticated comedies, filled with innuendo and inventive visual humour. Under Lubitsch's tutelage, Wilder collaborated with Charles Brackett to write one of the landmark rom-coms, Ninochka. Let me see now, the Eiffel Tower. The, ah, your finger, please. Why do you need my finger? It's bad manners to point with your own. There, the Eiffel Tower. And where are we? Where are we now? Let me see, where are we? Ah, here we are. There you are, and here am I. Feel it? I'm interested only in the shortest distance between these two points. Must you flirt? I don't have to, but I find it natural. Suppress it. Ninochka was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Screenplay. And when Wilder branched out to directing, he kept writing with Brackett for five more pictures, including The Lost Weekend, a hard-hitting Oscar-winning drama about alcoholism, and Sunset Boulevard, quite possibly the bitterest film ever made about Hollywood. Towards the end of the 50s, Wilder teamed up with IAL Diamond, And however good the partnership with Brackett was, Wilder's collaboration with Diamond, well, sparkled. There was a wonderful understanding between us two. He sits at the typewriter, and I would say I had kind of a big standing desk, you know, and I had the yellow tablet, and I would do it in pencil. Then we would discuss it, and we would compare. And if there's something that we both like, that's it. Sometimes we combine the two things. It's it's just, but all very, very friendly, and... uh, uh, I don't remember in all those years, and I, I worked with him like 20 or 25 years, that he would ever say, if I came with a suggestion, that's marvelous, that's great. His highest compliment always was, why not? Their second film together was Some Like It Hot, after which they penned The Apartment. The inspiration for The Apartment came from, of all things, David Lean's classic 1945 romance, Brief Encounter. Very simple, married woman a lover who lives in London and she would come and see him and he would use uh, he would use uh, a friend's apartment for his tryst or whatever you want to call it and the lines just very simply started with uh, 
But what about the man who has to crawl back into his warm bed? What happens to him? And I decided that that would be a good uh, character to start with. From there, Wilder and Diamond conjured up a mild-mannered insurance clerk who was coerced by his bosses into giving them the key to his apartment so they can conduct affairs with office secretaries. That may sound more like a drama, and depressing drama at that, but Wilder and Diamond fashioned a bittersweet comedy. For every joke they deliver, a serious underpinning is never far away. Hello. Hiya, buddy boy. I'm in this bar on 61st Street and I got to thinking about you and I figured I'd give you a little buzz. Well, that's very nice of you, but uh, who is this? Dobish. Joe Dobish in administration. Oh, yeah, Mr. Dobish. I didn't recognize your voice. That's okay, buddy boy. Now, like I was saying, I'm in this joint on 61st and uh, I think I got lucky. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Dobish. I'd like to help you fellas out, but it's sort of late, so why don't we uh, make it some other time? Listen, kid, I can't pass this up. She looks like Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> I'm already in bed, and I've taken a sleeping pill, so I'm afraid the answer is no. Look, Baxter, we're making out the monthly efficiency rating, and I'm putting you in the top ten. Now, uh, you don't want to lash yourself up, do you? It opens with C.C. Baxter, played by Jack Lemmon, reading off a column of statistics that immediately introduces us to corporate Manhattan. The building where he works houses 31,259 staff, that need 16 elevators to ferry them to their respective floors. Baxter is on the 19th and sits at desk 861. There he has served those upstairs for the last three years and 10 months. And for that work and the indignity of standing around in the cold and rain while his bosses cheat on their wives, his take-home pay is $94.70. Everything about Baxter's life is a number and almost everyone in the film has a price. All you have to do is call it. In the end, though, there is one person who realises Baxter doesn't have a price, and that is the elevator girl, Fran Kubelik, played by Shirley MacLaine. Blasting off! What did you do to your hair? It was making me nervous, so I chopped it off. Big mistake, huh? No, I sort of like it. You've got a lulu. Huh? Oh, yeah, I bet I get too close. And I never catch colds. Really? I was reading some figures from the Sickness and Accident Claims Division. Do you know that the average New Yorker between the ages of 20 and 50 has two and a half calls a year? <laughs> now that makes me feel just terrible. Why? Well, to make the figures come out even, if I have no colds a year, some poor slob must have five colds a year. Yeah, it's me. Should have stayed in bed this morning. I should have stayed in bed last night. Nineteen! Fran has been exploited by Baxter's boss, Jeff Sheldrake, played by Fred McMurray. So while the metaphor of Baxter letting his colleagues use his bed is pretty potent, what is even more potent is that whenever one of them steps into an elevator, it's not just the lift that they are riding to the top. So while Wilder and Brackett charm us with their funny, sad, almost tragic, but ultimately soothing romance between Baxter and Fran, the film also skewers the sexist, corrosive and dispiriting nature of corporate life. Baxter, we're a little disappointed in you, gratitude-wise. Oh, I'm very grateful. Then why are you locking us out all of a sudden? Well, it's been sort of rough the past few weeks, what with my cold and... Uh, like that. We went to bat for you, and now you won't play ball with us. Well, after all, it's my apartment. It's private property. It's not a public playground. <laughs> all right, so you got yourself a girl. That's okay with us, but not every night in the week. How selfish can you get? Last week, I had to borrow my nephew's car and take Sylvia to a drive-in in Jersey. I'm too old for that sort of thing. I mean, in the Volkswagen. If that all there were to Wilder's movie, you could just as easily listen to it on the radio. But, like all textured scripts, 
The words on the page suggest visual schemes. Cinematographer Joseph Fischel shot the film in Cinemascope, and while it was his first collaboration with Wilder, it was the third time Wilder had used the widescreen format. Both the seven-year itch and the spirit of St. Louis used it, but to no great appeal. With Lachelle behind the lens, Wilder got the hang of it. Look at the way Lachelle frames the great open-plan office on the 19th floor with its sea of desks, and you get a sense of corporate anonymity. But when we get into the apartment of the title, Lachelle's lenses make us intimate with Baxter's loneliness. Complementing that work is the Oscar-winning production design of Alexandre Tronet. Take another look at the open-plan office, and it looks as if those desks go on and on as far as the eye can see. But that is all an optical illusion, because Tronet forced the perspective by gradually reducing the size of the desks as they receded into the distance. And then look at the opulent space of Sheldrake's house, and compare that to the cramped size of Baxter's apartment. For me, that is where both Tronet and Lachelle's artistry come together. For all the bright open space of Sheldrake's house, it feels just like that, a space, not a home. By contrast, Baxter's apartment is very dark, and when a room is ever underlit, it automatically feels bigger than it is. But Tronet and Lachelle were able to balance everything, so the apartment is small and cramped, and we see just how squeezed Baxter's life really is. Say, Baxter, about the apartment, uh, now that you've got a raise, don't you think we can afford a second key? Well, I guess so. You know, my secretary, Miss Olson. Oh, yeah, very attractive. Is she the lucky girl? That oh, no, no, no. I just meant that she's, uh, she's kind of a busybody. I was sticking her nose in everything and, well, passing that key back and forth. Why take chances? Oh, yes, sir, you can't be too careful. Oh, I uh, have something I think belongs to you. Me? I mean, the, the young lady, whoever she may be. It was on my couch when I got back last night. Oh, yeah, thanks. The mirror is broken. It was broken when I found it. Yeah. She threw it at me. Sir? Well, you know how it is. Sooner or later, they always give you a bad time. Oh, I know how it is. You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away, they think you're going to divorce your wife. <laughs> <laughs> now, I ask you, is that fair? Oh, sir, it's very unfair. Especially to your wife. Yeah. You know, Baxter, I envy you. Bachelor, all the dames you want. No headaches, no complications. <laughs> yes, sir, that's the life, all right. Oh, uh, put me down for Thursday again. Roger. And I'll, uh, I'll get that other key. And so to how Wilder ends the story. It contains what he held to be sacrosanct for a film's climax. The third act, he said, must build, build, build in tempo and action until the last event. And the last event in the apartment has Fran racing across town. Look at that idea and you will see it echoed out across many other rom-coms. In Manhattan, Woody Allen races to stop Mariel Hemingway from getting on her plane. When Harry met Sally, has Harry racing across town on New Year's Eve to tell Sally, I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Sleepless in Seattle has Tom Hanks and his son racing up the Empire State Building to catch Meg Ryan. Notting Hill has Hugh Grant racing across London to see Julia Roberts before she leaves town. And another Julia Roberts rom-com has a variation on that theme where Richard Gere decides against catching his plane and instead stands up in his limousine like a knight on horseback and, producing his umbrella to climb up the fire escape, he professes his love for Vivian. Yes, that ending can get a little overused, but in the right hands it underlines the essence of romance. You always have to go that extra mile to win the heart of the one you love. And for that, we can thank Billy Wilder.